um, was ill last night and this morning, and so we kind of made the call this morning to, uh, to make a switch here. So um, go ahead and just, I, I invite your grace um, as, as this message is something that was um, created hours ago, um, and uh, certainly the Lord's ahead of all of this, and, and so we'll, uh, we'll mumble our way through this together, uh, but hopefully you're encouraged, and uh, we're going to take a step out of Mark. We're going to save that sermon for a, a future week when bread is healthy, and so we're going to be in Psalm chapter 32 this morning, actually. Um, so group leaders, if that's you, and you've already prepared this big uh, um, <laughs> um, evening with your group groups um, regarding the, the sermon content that was to be preached, um, you can make the decision to either continue with that or to hold off on that until uh, next week when likely Brett does uh, deliver that message. And so um, that, is, that is your decision. Today is very simple. Um, we have a simple message and um, we are going to follow it with communion, which is a wonderful celebration of who Jesus is and what he did. Um, And there's not going to be anything else outside of that, really, outside of worship. We don't have any sermon slides or anything like that. And so um, you'll just have to pay attention, I guess. We won't just be, we won't spell everything out for you this time, but I think you're capable, right? Um, So as we start, we're going to have another word of prayer here in a minute, but we do like to celebrate. Uh, We love to celebrate what God's doing um, outside of what's just happening on Sunday mornings. And so there's a few things that we want to draw your attention to. And the first is, is that we had uh, an awesome new members class. um, last weekend, last Sunday, uh, in which we had five or six or, you know, so, so many. I think we had, yeah, there's a picture. So there's five, but plus some kids uh, in the picture. We have some new members. And so we have Jared and the Moors and the Stoners. And so if they are in the room this morning, I think I see a few of them. Can we just give them a hand for joining us? Mm. Uh, we are thrilled anytime somebody, you know, signs that covenant and, and gives us that relationship with them. Um, we do believe that the Lord has, has more um, in that relationship. There's more accountability and there's more togetherness and there's just a more unity um, in regards to our vision and, and where we're heading as a church. And so we're thrilled about that as always. We love, we love new member classes and, and new members. And so we're excited about that. Another thing that we want to celebrate this morning um, is you've probably gotten some notifications through the week uh, about this, but uh, Brooke Hogan has been um, overseeing our FBN Tots ministry over the last three years. And just a few notes on that. First of all, FBN Tots is one of the more complicated of ministries, I would say, right? If you've ever been a part of, of nursery ministry at any church, you know that it's kind of fast-paced, a lot of shifts and changes. And so add to that the last three years, which have been the most bizarre ministry years I've ever experienced right? And you could see how this was kind of a big undertaking, and yet Brooke Hogan handled it with grace and in such a wonderful attitude and humility. And so uh, she is resigning from that position at the end of this month, um, in which case we're going to kind of handle some of those things from the office as best as we can and just see what God does uh, in that season. Um, However, uh, she did a remarkable job, and we want to just celebrate her this week, and especially um, this next season that her and Mike and the family are going into as they create more mental and emotional and all other kinds of space to pursue fostering and adoption again. So everything's good. They're still here. They're not going anywhere. They're still involved, still even probably part of that team to a degree, um, and yet... Yet we want to just celebrate this with them and and just inform you guys of this. And so can we thank Brooke for everything that she's done for this ministry of the last three years? (laughs) 
Um, and we're going to celebrate that through, through the rest of this month. And we did applaud for you, it, Brooke, in the first service, but you didn't hear that, but hopefully you felt that. And we'll do it again in the next service. So um, listen, a lot of really cool things happening. The Lord's just, he's taking care of us. All the shifts, all the changes, all the things that are, that are moving, and there's a lot moving. He's just been so good. And so there's so much to celebrate. And today, I really hope it's just a humble and simple look back at who Jesus is and, and what he affords us by his blood shed on the cross. And we'll use that to pave the way to communion. And our elder, Doug Miller, is going to lead us in that towards the end of our time together. So let's have a word of prayer. Let's celebrate and, uh, um, the, the Lord together in prayer. And then we'll, we'll have our time in Psalm chapter 32. Our Father in heaven. Uh, holy is your name, Lord. Uh, you are so good. You are so holy, and you've called us to such. And it's so wonderful to see how people do very holy and set-apart things for your kingdom, how people step into just uh, unique places of service and ministry to chase what you're asking them to do. So we're grateful for that with the Hogans. We're also grateful for that with our new members, both of which are just following you uh, in obedience to what you're leading their families to do. And so we celebrate that. We love the way that you overtly work in the hearts of your people. And we pray that today in your word, God, that we would be um, motivated and inspired by nothing more than the word and Jesus and who he is and what he did. And so, God, we ask that you would just cover this time with your grace, uh, that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill my voice uh, with your Holy Spirit, God, that I might not get in the way of anything um, in, in all of this, and that you would just work as you see fit. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things I really enjoy doing is just looking at, um, you know, studies, research, um, particularly with like the mind, uh, like just weird psychology research and studies that have been done. And there's a lot of weird ones out there. So I don't know if you've ever gone on those rabbit trails, but one of the ones that I come across often, and there's a lot of secular research as well as uh, Christian research, research and faith-based research, um, is, is research about just the happiest people in the world right? Uh, people are very intrigued by issues of happiness and joy and what robs us of that and what, what is conducive to that. And I would say a general conclusion has been made across most research and most um, um, places of study. And the general conclusion is that people of faith tend to be more happy. The general conclusion is that people who have faith, who have religion, not necessarily Christian religion, but have religion, tend to be more happy. And if you read further into a lot of these researches and, and studies, uh, you'll come across this idea that people of faith, it's not necessarily a, an actual relationship with some God that creates this happiness, but people of faith are often moral people. And by being moral people, they are able to avoid the things in life that are proven to rob people of happiness. So religious people are less likely to give themselves to drunkenness. Religious people are less likely to give themselves to adultery. Religious people are less likely to give themselves to hatred and bitterness and other relational issues. Religious people are less likely to give themselves to even things like debt, right? There's just things that, that religious people do by their own moral code and the, moral, the morality that they're following that, that frees them, right, of the things that rob them of their happiness. And I won't go all the way to say that that's nonsense because it's actually pretty accurate, right? Even the Bible says that if you take good care of yourself and if you pursue him that you'll actually have life in your bones, right? There are physical blessings that come from, from good pursuit of God and even good moral standing, 
But it's still pretty shallow, isn't it? Now, we all know what it feels like when we sin, when we cause something that, that, that creates this big consequence in our lives, and we have to suffer the consequences of that thing. What's interesting is that there's a lot of people who struggle with suffering from failing their own moral code. Now, if you're in faith, then you have a morality, and you know what it's like to not live up to that morality. If you're not in faith, more than likely you have a morality. It's maybe not driven by the Bible. It's driven by your own heart and your own gut and your own lust and that kind of stuff. And so you live up to whatever you deem is good is bad. And then you, you still don't even live up to yourself. And so there's this tendency for us to, uh, um, to, to, to fall short based on our own morality. But what I love about the Christian faith is that no matter what falling short you're dealing with, even the falling short of your own morality, that Jesus has an answer. And I just think it's the most unique thing across all faith systems, all kinds of religions, is that Jesus, even in the pit of your own moral failure, whatever your morality is, even in the pit of it, that Jesus still has a way for joy and happiness and blessing. I think Brandon said it earlier, like there's nothing going on in your life where you can't, where you can't, actually have the potential of happiness if you are in Christ Jesus. And what I, th- I think this is just extremely important because, because our joy is not found in anything, and it's certainly not found in us just acting right. Because then when we act wrong, where does our joy go? But Jesus even in the pit of sin, in the pit of immorality, in the pit of despair for all of you, uh, uh, what's that movie called? You know what I'm talking about if you're a fan of that already, right? What is it? Princess Bride. Bride. Thank you, wife. (laughs) Right? Princess Bride, the pit of despair. Even if you're in that place, God has an answer, and it's Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at that. And by the way, I want to just tip my hand heavy here. The way that this joy still can come, even in the pit of despair and in brokenness, is forgiveness. Somebody once came up to me and said, what is the centerpiece of all the gospel? And I was like, well, I don't know. There's a lot of things that could fit that answer. Love, forgiveness, Christ, the cross. Like, I don't know. Like, where are you going at, right? It's a leading question. Well, his answer was forgiveness, and I don't disagree, though I don't think it's one, Just, just the singular answer but it is forgiveness, okay? And so that's what I want to look at today in Psalm chapter 32, just the uniqueness of forgiveness and the joy that we have. And I want to invite Lauren Foxworthy up, who's going to read our passage for, this, uh, for us this morning. Psalm 32, um, verses 1 uh, through 5. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning, Lauren. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose, de- whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle, from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Awesome. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. Those are awesome verses, aren't they? Awesome, awesome words. And so what I want to do is I want to use this passage to just kind of 
paint this picture um, of forgiveness and the many, the many pieces that can be at play in that, even in the life of a believer. And I want to go and say, like, as a believer or unbeliever, you're going to look at this passage kind of differently, but you're also going to look at it very similarly, right? And so we're going to address that as, as we go through our time. But what I want to do is just kind of take this section by section and just notice the, the track, notice the trajectory of, of all of the pieces at play when it comes to truly understanding the forgiveness of Jesus and how that transcends into joy, how that transcends into, into actual joy that is bigger than any moral code. It is just bigger than anything that you can find in this life. It's found in Christ. And the first thing I want us to notice in the first two verses is simply this. It's the offense. It's the offense. Now let me explain. Verses 1 through 2 say this. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. Now let's define joy. Joy is synonymous with blessing. Uh, it's synonymous with happiness, right? And so when you read about it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, like uh, when you read Jesus talking about the Beatitudes, it's, it's a safe uh, understanding to say like happiness is part of that. Joy is part of that. A smile on your face is actually part of that, that formula, Okay, and so what he's talking about here is, is joy, it's happiness, it's, it's blessing. And what robs us of that or what keeps us from that and where we're going to start here is this thing called sin. And he uses three words in these verses to talk about sin. He uses sin, he uses transgression, and he uses iniquity, right? Transgression is kind of the more synonymous with this idea of rebellion, right? That you've transgressed against another. And, and this is a hard one for the world to understand um, because we love the idea. The world loves this concept of like, well, I'm not against you, but I'm for what I'm for. Like you can worship Jesus and, and God and all that. That's fine. I'm not against Jesus or God. I'm just not a believer in that stuff. The Bible says that that's a rebellious way of living and thinking. That's rebellion. And so it's very hard to convince the world of what true rebellion is. But rebellion is transgression, right? We transgress against God. We rebel against God when we choose anything else other than Jesus. And Jesus said, if you're not, with, if you're not for me, then you're against me. So there's a rebellious uh, um, nature to sin. And then we have the word sin here, which means offense, Right? Not only is it transgression against God, but it is offensive to him. And then the iniquity part is the guilt and punishment that comes as a result. It's the guilt and punishment that comes as a result, which the Bible says here, that, that the Lord does not charge with iniquity uh, uh, those whose spirit there is no deceit. Right? And so iniquity is this, is this guilt and it's this punishment. And this is what we are forgiven from. I want to go ahead and say this. This is important to note that no one has ever received forgiveness for a sinful position that they did not believe they had. There is no one who is in heaven who doesn't understand that they were deserving of hell. There is no one who truly follows Jesus who is completely absent-minded of the reality of their sinfulness and their brokenness and their sinful nature. This is part of forgiveness. This is part of finding true, lasting joy, is understanding that none of us deserve any of it. None of us deserve any of it. But to truly find joy means to, uh, to, find, to find Jesus. Anything less is shallow. It's, 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 it's quick ending. 
And so part of understanding sin and transgression and iniquity is understanding and wrestling with it so that grace may do its full work. And if we don't understand that part, if we don't wrestle with that part, then grace is not complete. As it says here in the full spectrum of sin, when we do let grace have its way, then there is mercy in the Lord to not charge us with that iniquity. There is coverage, it says. We, we're covered. Our sin is covered. And we're going to talk about how it's covered here in just a moment. Now, sometimes in this path to, to, to supreme joy found in Jesus Christ, you know, you have the transgression, this, this place of sin, and you become aware of that. But sometimes for us, especially for believers, and I'll speak, you know, from my, from my experience in this one, what happens often, though, is that we can end up in this weird pothole, this weird pit, this weird place, as, as uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 40, this miry pit this clay, and it just feels like you can't get out, you're stuck. And the markers of this pit that we get in when we, when we sin and we fall short of God, but then we get in that weird struggle against ourselves and against him, and we just refuse to accept the gospel for a moment. David talks about a few markers here that kind of mark that area. In verse 3, he says, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. Right? When I kept silence, silence, when believers go through sinful seasons and sinful situations and yet they remain silent in their hearts, which is another way of saying unrepentant. There is no honest confession here. And what that means is that they're choosing sin. They know God maybe, but they're choosing sin. They're choosing sin and as a result, their body begins to waste away. And maybe you know this. Like, I know this feeling so well, it's unreal, that the times that I've been stuck in sin and have been resistant to confess, resistant to be humbled, resistant to all of those things, the weight of conviction just makes my bones weak. Over time, it will wear on you because God is good and he is gracious and he's not going to let, uh, let you go on too long in that place if the Holy Spirit resides within you. Your body will begin to crumble. Right? The bones of your spiritual spirit will become brittle and weak. And so the second part, not only is there this silence and this silence of pride and, and uh, just a, this lack of humility, but there's also what uh, it says here in verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. That God's heavy hand of conviction has brought you to a place of just complete of just being parched in your spirit. Your spiritual spirit is now broken, it's brittle, and it's completely parched. And all of it is wonderfully intentional so that you start gasping for air and that you start tripping all over yourself so that you have no other choice but to reach out your hand and ask Jesus to save you and to bring you out of the pit. It is intentional humbling out of love that you would be put in this position yeah, you could say your sin is what got you there. But as long as your pride remains, then God will do what he needs to humble you. Right? And so you're in this place of silence and of conviction. Now, the question's got to be asked, though, and maybe you're here and you're like, I, don't, I never know what that is. Um, and maybe this is just me needing to, like, you know, use you as my own therapy. But this is something that I'm very, very in tune with. And so the question remains, like, Why? Why do people put themselves in this position and then stay there? 
Like, why do Christians, and you see them, they're walking around as if nothing's wrong, but inside they're wasting away. Why, why do they choose this? Why do people choose this? When sin has gripped their lives and something's going on, but they're refusing honest confession. They're refusing repentance. They're refusing humility. Why do we get this way? There's a litany of answers to this, by the way, and many of you, if you've ever felt this or sensed this, then you know what your answer is. For me, it's always been a combination of a lack of humility uh, and then is often this weird, like, projected legalism on God, like the self-depreciation, like, I know God is gracious and good, right? It's almost like Jonah, like, he, he knew God was going to save the Ninevites, and so he tried to just resist it, and it's like the same thing in my own heart. It's like, I know God's good, and I know he's going to pull me out of this, and he's going he's to redeem me, he's going to forgive me, he's going to do all this, and so I'm going to do what he should be doing and punish myself, and I'm going to stay in this hole, and I'm going to suffer the consequences for a while. Now, that's how I justify it, because that sounds better than just, I like my sin better than God right now. That's really what's going on. Why do people get to this spot? I think there's a lot, uh, another group of people who maybe they've just been Christians for long, so long that they forget the gospel, they forget the realities of sin, they forget the the dramatic impact of sin that was in their lives when they gave their lives to Christ? Maybe. We forget the gospel. We forget the gospel is just really that good. Maybe we don't trust it all the way. We become detached with what we've been saved from. This is another issue, I think, that is, uh, uh, exists in a lot of, among a lot of people who get saved early in life. Like for me, you know, saved at seven, just kind of went through the, the, church, uh, the church way. My parents loved the Lord. Um, I was saved um, in my own home, um, and then they baptized me, and like it, it was just, I came to know the Lord early. And so, maybe theologically, as a child, I understood what sin was, and I understood I had it, but all I understood it as was like, yeah, I disobey my parents sometimes, I kicked the dog yesterday, like, you know, the things that kids think are like hugely sinful. And so as you grow older, having this faith, but then finding yourselves in other places of sinful compromise, you become more in tune with the salvation that you have. Through, through future sin, you become more in tune with what you've been saved from. And sometimes I think people just exist without that awareness, without that consciousness, as if they've arrived Nothing's wrong with me anymore, so I'm just going to serve the Lord, and I'm just going to counsel everyone else, even if they don't ask for it. And you haven't asked God to, you haven't confessed or repented of anything with God in years. You haven't acknowledged your sin before God in years, and yet you've still been claiming his name. You're not perfect, you've not arrived to anything, and you're missing out on one of the most beautiful, sanctifying disciplines that you could possibly embrace in your life, and that is steady, regular repentance. And so, that's that area, that silent conviction area that just seems to, to just wrap people up and keep people just stunted uh, in their spiritual walk. But, right, when God brings you to that place of humility, when God, when God brings you to that place of, of needing him and, and, and needing to acknowledge your sin before him, in verse 5 we see this, and it's kind of the next part. He says, then I acknowledge my sin to you, right? He's parched, he's brittle, and so finally, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. All right, no more games here, Lord. 
I'm brittle, I'm broken, and I'm tired of pretending like you don't see what's going on here. And so I'm just going to say it, though you already know it. I'm going to say it so I can release it and be forgiven from it. I've been doing this thing. I've been acting this way. Honest confession, right? That's the next part, and it's a crucial part to finding true, lasting joy in the forgiveness of Christ. There is nothing hidden from the Lord, but even even though he knows everything, there is so much power in the full acknowledgement of the condition that we are in. When we acknowledge these things before the Lord, we we, we, we show him that we understand that we're rebellious. We show him that we understand we're sinful. We show him that we understand that he's holy and we're not. He's big and we're small. He's supreme and we are so shallow. And this is a cry of faith to finally say, God, you're big, I'm little, I'm a sinful person, and you are perfectly holy. And this is the kind of faith that amazes the heart of God. So desperate in their need that they, that they reach to him and nothing else. This is good, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful, but it feels awful when you're in that place. But it feels also wonderful to know that he can pull you right out of it through your honest confession. His forgiveness is ready for you. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this applies certainly to people who are new to belief. And it applies certainly to people who are, who are stuck. And you've been a believer for years, but you're stuck. Call upon the name of the Lord in humility. I wonder how many Christians just haven't done that in so long. What happens as a result? The second part of verse 5. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Which I think is interesting phrasing, right? It didn't just say you forgave my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. The guilty charge, the punishment. The thing that I deserved, you carried it away. You took it away. How? Well, he did it in the person of Jesus Christ. Who shed his blood on the cross. Who was God and man two natures in one, and he came and he lived the perfect life and he represents us in a way that we can never represent us on a cross in that place of punishment. And so he doesn't hold a charge um, to your iniquity because he bore your iniquity. You're no longer punished. You no longer have to suffer in guilt because he bore your punishment. He bore your guilt. He covers you because he bled for you. He covers you because he died for you. This is what is meant in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. One of a million passages I could have chose to just articulate the gospel. For whatever reason, this is the one that came to mind. Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Empty is a pretty good opposite word to joy, in a way. Empty. But with precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. This is the work that Jesus has done. He has covered your iniquity. He doesn't hold charge anymore. There is no charge And you have perfect relationship and and communion with God because of what Jesus has done. C.S. Lewis said this, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. 
There is no such thing, he says. So if you're here and you're scraping and grabbing for any other thing that's going to try to spark joy and happiness in your life, I'm telling you, you're, you're missing out on the unique joy that is only found in the forgiveness that we find in Jesus Christ and the free access that we have to him and to the Father and to forgiveness at any point in time through honest confession and humility. And so for you today, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, you just need to know. You just need to know, and I say this with full love for you, you just need to know that you are currently rebellious, you are currently sinful, and you are currently separated from God. That is your condition at this moment. If you have not confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord. This is your condition. And the end of this condition is hell. If you live this entire life and you say, well, I'm not against him, but I'm not really for him, you need to know that you are rebelling against him. And today could be your day. If he's stirring in your heart, maybe you already sense the Holy Spirit convicting your heart. Maybe you sense that. You sense him drawing you in. You need to understand that honest confession and repentance is the only way to receive his forgiveness. You can't just stroll into it. You can't, you can't do it keeping anything back. It is full surrender, full submission to an almighty God. He is holy. You're not. He is holy. I'm not. And nobody here who does believe in Jesus is any better than you. We just have a better end because we believe. And so we're going to know life, and we're going to know life eternal. But the thing is, is you can too. You can too if you would confess your sin and just repent of the distance that you've created between you and God. And his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace are ready for you. They already got your name on it. You need to receive it. You need to just call upon his name and receive it. And if you are here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us through communion here in just a little bit. Right? But my hope for you is that if you are here and you are in that place of unresolved sin, yeah, you've been saved, yeah, you've been justified, but currently right now the Holy Spirit is just quenched and parched in your life because you've been choosing sin over God. You're in a room full of believers who have also been in that place. And I just want to tell you that I hope today is the day that you call upon the name of the Lord. That you would humble yourself, call upon the name of the Lord, and then grab his hand. He's reaching into the pit. He doesn't want you to be stuck in this pothole anymore. Grab his hand, let him pull you out, and move on in your life. Grow in the Lord. Do awesome things for him. Quit being held up and stunted because of your own choosing of sin. And through communion, we have a chance to bring these things before the Lord, to bring these things before the Lord, to see Jesus in this perfect picture of his body and blood being poured out and broken for us, right? We have the chance to remember the gospel in full, and and I pray that it would inspire you to speak up. If you're one of those silent people under the weight of conviction, speak up, confess with your mouth to the Lord today. Confess your sin to him. Remember your salvation And then, after communion, I hope we could just all walk out of here with joy in our hearts and a smile on our face because Jesus did what he did and he is who he is. And it is bizarre to me how so many Christians, I understand the research, but I don't know if I agree because some of the most grumpiest, unbearable people are Christians in my experience. Now I'm around a lot of Christians, obviously doesn't make any sense in my mind, though. 
We need to let the joy of the Lord come back in. And if we need to be reminded, humbled, broken over the sin that we have long forgotten that we, over the sinners that we long forgotten we were, then I pray that he would do that work today too in in the work of communion. So I'm going to pray and pray these things over us, and I'm going to invite Doug up to lead us in communion this morning. Father, thank you so much for this time that we've had in your word. Thank you for your, your kindness, your goodness, the grace that you have on the ready for us, for anybody who would confess and believe. For the believers here today, I pray that we would be moved by communion, drawn to you further, that we would overcome sin that has been remained in our lives, and, and God, that you would uh, you'd be glorified in that process. For anyone here who is not a believer, in lieu of taking communion this morning, I pray that they would just focus on you, process what you're doing in their hearts right now, and God, if you are drawing them in, I pray that they would not get in the way of that, but they would even cry out in their hearts today that they would call upon the name of the Lord today, confess their sin to him, and be saved. God, would you do these things among us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go to the table. Uh, Thinking back as a younger person living at home, uh, we had dinner together uh, each night and 